Good morning. Um, today's scripture is Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 through 14. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. This is the word of God for today. What do you do when you need godly help and strength to live the Christian life? Where do you turn? Who do you look to? What do you reach for? It's easy to walk as a Christian when things are all rosy and nice, but when things are difficult, we often need help. So where do you turn? As Christians, we all walk through times that are difficult, challenging, life-stretching, like relational crises, financial crises, health crises and sickness, death of family or friends, rejection for the gospel's sake. We're regularly bombarded with philosophies that tempt us to cast off faith, just like the church at Colossae was. Often these take us beyond our breaking point. So the question I ask is, where do we turn? Well, if you studied the Bible, and I'm sure it's no surprise to you that the Apostle Paul would turn to prayer and to Scripture to be reminded of the truth of Christ. In our text today, we have a recorded prayer of Paul wherein he specifically prays for things that strengthen us to live with godly power and wisdom even in the midst of trial and temptation and difficulty. Besides this being a direct address to God, Paul is seeking to instruct the Colossians and by way of scripture is seeking to instruct us. So, just like we normally do when we hear somebody pray, it's one thing when we hear them talk, but when somebody prays, we tend to lean in. All the words of Jesus are important, but when you read about Jesus praying, something about that causes us to lean in. I want to encourage us to lean in to the Apostle Paul. This is something very personal to him. It's something that he's passionate about, and it's written to a church that he deeply loves and for which he gives regular thanks. So as we lean in and hear his instruction, I believe that we will see, at least I pray that we see, and this is the main point of my message, that strength to glorify Christ comes through knowledge of Christ and through humble appreciation of his glorious work. Let me say that again. Strength to glorify Christ comes through knowledge of Christ 
and through humble appreciation of his glorious work. There are three things from Paul's prayer that I want to emphasize. Um, There certainly is much, much more here that probably would take me a couple extra hours or a couple extra sermons. But I've chosen three things that I want to highlight here, and these will be the three points of my message. Firstly, that we would increasingly, number one, be strengthened to live in a manner worthy of the Lord. That we would increasingly be strengthened to live in a manner worthy of the Lord. Verses 9 and 10 say this. And so from the day we heard, we've not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God. Paul prays that the Colossians would be strengthened and equipped by God in such a way that they would be filled with the knowledge of God's will. He's praying that they would know God's will. And he prays that they would have the power to do God's will. Prays that they would be filled with the knowledge of God's will, have the power to do God's will, and do it in a manner that pleases God. It's all about him. Brothers and sisters, as members of his family, we are called to do his will. His will in our lives. His will in our families' lives. And his will in our lives as a community. It's his will that glorifies him. Jesus taught us to pray, thy will be done. Paul is praying for God's will here. Moreover, when he uses the phrase knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, he's not, he's definitely not speaking of worldly wisdom, not human wisdom, but a wisdom that comes from God. There's a lot of things out there that purport to be wisdom, but they are in conflict with God's wisdom. God's wisdom is brought to us through the word of God, understood through prayer and the work of the Holy Spirit. So the wisdom of God that we need to be filled with and to do comes from God's word. We need to take time to read, to listen to, to meditate upon God's word and allow it to impact our thoughts, just as Josh rightly exhorted us about the book of Colossians. It also will require that we take time to submit our hearts humbly to the word of God. Scripture teaches that the word of God is alive. It is active It's critical that we submit our hearts and minds to it. And as we do, as we appropriate the truth of God's word to our lives, we will bear fruit for the glory of God. Just like it says in verse 10, 
bearing fruit in every good work. Whatever God calls us to do, that we would bear fruit for his glory. Brothers and sisters, the study of the word of God is not optional. It's something that is required in order to know God's will. Moreover, as we are filled with the knowledge of his will, in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, we will also be faced with two challenges. Both, by the way, are designed to strengthen us. The first challenge is this. Will we trust the word of God? Will we trust that what we read before us, even though it runs into conflict perhaps with what we think or what we see, will we trust that it is true and right? Because so often it does clash with our own wills. Second challenge will be this. Will we mortify sin? Will we be killing sin that would seek to kill us? Will we be killing the sin that God's word exposes? The knowledge of God's will will invariably bring me into conflict with the world and culture around me that reports to be true and right. And it will also at times clash with my own sinful cravings and desire. In both cases, we will need to cry out to God for faith, for spiritual wisdom, to walk in a manner that's pleasing to him. But the truth is this. There is no way I can walk in a way of loving God and loving the world. There's no way you can walk in a way of loving God and loving the world. We can't actively embrace the thoughts, attitudes, and practices that please God and at the same time embrace the sinful cultural norms of the world, its attitudes, its beliefs, its practices that conflict with the character of God. And we are bombarded daily with that whether it's from the culture we live in or the media or the air that we live in, we're bombarded daily. Sometimes it's my heart that's attacking my faith and I need the Holy Spirit's help. But friends, we can't forget, we have a helper. We have the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit, He will actively impress the word of God upon our hearts. He will use the word of God to bring conviction to us. He'll use the word of God to reveal God's will and God's path for us. He also gives us one another. He works through others. We are a community. We are a body of Christ. And he uses one another to challenge, encourage, and help us to understand God's will for us. All, of course, based upon the Scripture. The Holy Spirit will bring help. He will bring strength to our inner being. But it's always, always, always in accordance with God's Word. The Spirit will not lead us contrary to the Word of God. 
The Holy Spirit is God, the author of Scripture. It will always be in accord with the Word of God. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we must regularly be seeking to fill our minds and hearts with the knowledge of God through his word. So my question for us is this. Do we have a plan in place for regularly filling or watering our hearts with the word? Are you growing in God's word? I don't want to go from preaching to meddling. However, if you were to be asked, what is your experience with the study of the Word of God, what would you say? We need God's Word. We need to be studying it. We need to have a regular time where we are being refreshed by it. God's Word is not optional. It is powerful, and we need to take time to meditate upon it. Furthermore, is there a place when necessary, if necessary, where we are being confronted to adjust our thoughts and attitudes to be aligned with the truth of God's word? Is there someone that you can go to who you can reflect with about things that you are having difficulty with? in understanding the Word of God, or in your own life, things that may need to change. Do you have a person? And then the question is, do you go to that person? And if so, when's the last time that you went to them? Thanks be to God, I have a wife that loves Jesus more than she loves me. And she desires the glory of God more than my comfort, who will bring to me the truth of God's word for my own life. I cannot tell you the number of times that I have been strengthened, encouraged, because she brought something that was contrary to the way I thought I should go. That's a gift, that's strength. As I take it before the Lord, the Lord uses that. That's help that God has given. Do you have somebody that you can go to, a friend, a family member, and do you go to them? Brothers and sisters, we are to be people of the word. It is something that needs to be as food to us. It is something that we need to treasure It is something that, if you will, we need to eat. We need to digest. We need to ruminate on. Sounds like picnic talk. But we do. We need to digest it. And as we do, I mean, it's referred to in the Bible as the seed is the word of God. It will bear fruit. We need to take time to do that. As we do, we will grow in spiritual wisdom and understanding and in the life that pleases the Lord. But it is dependent upon the word of God. So firstly, Paul prays that we would be filled with the knowledge of his will and live in a manner pleasing to the Lord. Secondly, point number two, Paul prays that we would be strengthened to increasingly give thanks. Verses 11 and 12. 
I want to graze over these two verses for a little bit. There's so much here. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. That power is the power that raised Jesus from the dead. And he's praying, may we be strengthened with that power. I have a friend, and I trust his theology, who said to me, you know, I am praying, Chris, that I can see God raise the dead. I smiled when I first heard that. And then the Lord convicted me. Why are you smiling? I've done it before. I do it in other places. There was faith for him. He was praying for that. All power to raise the dead. Friends, there is a power that transforms the spiritually dead to be spiritually alive, and we have experienced that. We need to be praying we experience that more. That same power, according to his glorious might, will help us for all endurance and patience with joy. I like to skip over the word patience. There are people who are patient, and I get impatient with them. But God's power will help to transform us to be what we can't be on our own. The endurance that we need for the sake of the gospel and the glory of God comes by his power. And in the midst of all of that, one of the main points I want to emphasize is giving thanks to the Father. Giving thanks to the Father. Do you notice that he puts giving thanks in the midst of a time of trial and difficulty? I sometimes marvel and one day want to, uh, in heaven, I just want to ask the Apostle Paul, how were you so thankful in the midst of all you went through? I believe it's because he understood the next part of this verse, which says, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints? Who has qualified? That word qualified. Underneath that, I wrote the word Everest. When he qualifies us, there is an Everest, a Mount Everest or Denali or If you're in South America, Ilimani, you choose the mountain, but there's a huge, massive amount of information of qualified that as you look at it and as you study it and as you unpack it, you realize the magnanimity of our God and the sacrifice of Christ. He has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints. God, help us not to pass over that lightly. But in the midst of this section, Paul says, giving thanks. To study the life of Paul is to study one who was continuously in the midst of difficulty, trial, testing, torture for his faith. 
We read in 2 Corinthians, he tells us, three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked a night and a day adrift at sea. Can you relate? No. That's not to mention anything about his time in jail. Yet to study the life of this guy is also in greater measure to study the life of a man who was profoundly grateful. Profoundly grateful. Here in other letters, Paul refers to the practice of giving thanks. And his thanksgiving is always connected to something done by God or done on his behalf. It was right there in his mind. He's continuously aware of the amazing grace that was given him. He's continuously aware of the salvation work Christ performed on his behalf. He regularly recognized he didn't deserve it. It was not merited. It was a gift. He didn't produce it. He wasn't worthy of it. And yet he lived in constant awareness that it was all of grace. The question I have for us is this. To what degree are we amazed by grace? Perhaps when we first became Christians, we were blown away. Perhaps it was something that really stirred our heart. Friends, as we continue to grow in our knowledge and understanding and experience of the love and truth of Christ, we ought more be more amazed today than the day we were converted. Are we amazed by grace? And along that same question is, with what regularity do we specifically turn to God and give thanks for it? I believe one of the greatest sources of strength for Christian is the practice of giving thanks. The practice of giving thanks. Heartfelt, humble response to God for his mercy. As Christians, there's a myriad of things that we can be giving thanks to God. Giving thanks to God for. But the gift that should lead all of our thanks is thanksgiving for the inheritance that we receive in Christ Verse 12 says, giving thanks to the Father because we have been qualified to receive an everlasting and internal inheritance. The right response is thanksgiving. Now, it's interesting, when you look at the concept of thanksgiving, just in and of itself, it's just interesting to observe that thanksgiving always brings attention to the giver. And the gift that the giver gives. It reminds us that the receiving of the gift is out of kindness. And for the Christian, it's definitely a practice that glorifies God. It's a practice that testifies to the work of God. It's something that Jesus regularly did. It's a practice that's throughout the Old Testament. It's something that Paul regularly did. It's a practice that Christians are admonished to practice. And dare I say... To the degree that we are appreciative can reveal, first of all, our understanding of the gift of salvation and the value upon it 
that we place? How is our thanksgiving? It's also very interesting to note that a person with a humble heart is quick to be grateful and to express appreciation, whereas a person with a prideful heart is slow or rarely expresses appreciation. Pride and arrogance and self-sufficiency block the practice of thanksgiving. Sadly, that's what I notice in my life and I ask God for help for. Question I have is, how are we at expressing thankfulness? How often do you find yourself giving thanks to God specifically for the salvation that he has given you? Are you in awe and wonder of the Savior at his amazing rescue for you? Thanksgiving is a practice of the people of God from Genesis to Revelation. And in light of God's mercy, it's a means of strengthening our faith. And so Paul prayed that we would give thanks. Point number three, Paul prayed that we would grow in awareness of the person and work of Christ, that we would grow in awareness of the person and work of Christ. Verses 13 and 14. Paul concludes his prayer here with a statement, and it's interesting that verses 9 through 14 in the Greek are all one sentence. So he concludes his statement here with something that ought to undergird and inform all of our prayers. As Josh mentioned, the title of our series is Christ Above All. And as we go through this letter, there are portions that speak loudly about the magnificence of Christ and his work. Passage that were literally sung in the early church and then later thought to be worked into creeds. This, verses 13 and 14, is one such passage. It says, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Friends, it will take an eternity to understand the depth of that. It will. As you begin to unpack that, you start to engage the character of God. Why would God do that? He didn't have a need. Why would he take sinful people to be his own and remove their sin from them? It doesn't make sense outside of his character, his character of holiness and his character of love. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness, transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, transferred past tense. If you take nothing else, take that home. Transferred past tense. We're in a new kingdom. Thanks be to God. A new kingdom. And this passage properly dissect us, give us an overwhelming picture of the magnitude of Christ's love. The terminology 
of this delivered, transferred, speaks of a great rescue operation. Great rescue operation. Um, Domain of darkness that we read here is also seen in Jesus' comment in the Garden of Gethsemane. The domain of darkness. We were before Christ in the kingdom of Satan. That sounds ugly. It is true. We have been rescued. Thanks be to God from that kingdom. Prior to the cross, the greatest description of God's saving power was the exodus. And many commentators think that that's what Paul had in mind here. So I'm going to quickly take a look at that. Exodus 6, 6 through 8 says this. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will deliver you from slavery to them and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people. I will be your God. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. Is there anything more sweet, brothers and sisters, than to be able to think That God is my God. That God is my Father. That God loves me. That God loves you. How sweet the truth. The Exodus was a mighty act of judgment, of freedom, of rescue and deliverance. It was a story that was to be continuously rehearsed and celebrated among the Israelites and to be part of their culture and worship. But friends, it was a prophetic picture. It was a prophetic foreshadowing. There was a greater rescue that was to come. And as you know, through the work of Christ, those who have been brought to faith in Christ are brought out of bondage to sin and death and given an inheritance that is eternal, given the righteous standing of Christ himself. Greater than the exodus, the salvation experience is an experience of a mighty act of judgment and freedom and rescue and deliverance. Friends, this story too needs to be continuously rehearsed just like the Israelites. It has to be part of our culture, part of our corporate culture, part of our personal culture. As a church, we celebrate it regularly with our worship, with our communion. It's something that we need to celebrate. The reason that the gospel of Christ is such good news 
is because it describes our situation as really bad news. Outside of Christ, we had a sin problem that separated us from God. We were part of a different kingdom and slaves to a different master who was Satan. We were deserving of eternal death as penalty for our sins. We were under a wrathful judgment, enemies of God. Our future was set, and God owed us nothing except the rightful judgment and penalty that our sins warranted. It's bad news. In some, we were in a spiritual prison waiting for execution. We required rescue. And the rescue was infinitely costly. But, thanks be to God, we have a redeemer. His name is Jesus. And as the scripture says, and I just want to go through a couple of these, Titus 2, he gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify himself a people of his own possession who are zealous for good works. Romans says this, for while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would even dare to die. But God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. Thanks be to God. And finally, Mark 10 says this, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom. We have a Redeemer. His name is Jesus, one who paid the price of our redemption with the sacrifice of his perfect life. Brothers and sisters, all of this points to a mammoth truth that God loves us in a way that we will never be able to understand fully or completely imagine. Augustine said it right. The cross was the pulpit in which Christ preached his love. If you are here today and this is not your experience, where you do not know Christ, I want to encourage you to think about the one who hung on a cross to pay for your sins. I want you to think about his life, his death. For those who don't know Christ, one author said this, people who have not been rescued by God in Christ live in a power structure that's characterized by the forces of chaos, evil, and judgment. I can attest to that. I can attest. That was my life before Christ. Thanks be to God. He has rescued me. If you're here today and you don't know Christ, please consider you were created to have a relationship with him He's paid the price for you to do that. The Apostle Paul prayed that those who know Christ would be strengthened by knowledge of his work, be filled with spiritual understanding 
so that they would live for his glory. The verses in our text today address us in a very relevant and pragmatic sense. We all walk daily with the need for God's strengthening Holy Spirit. We all walk daily with the need to recall God's word and his work. We all walk daily with the need to give thanks regularly to God. And so, as I close today, let me join with Josh. This wasn't planned, unless the Holy Spirit planned it, which I believe he did. Let me close with a few challenges for us. First, can I encourage you to evaluate your practice of the study of God's word? I'm not saying go from zero to three hours a day, but I'm saying to specifically evaluate how much time and what your plan is for reading God's word. Mothers with young ones, there's an, it's impossible that you're going to sit down necessarily for long times to be able to do that. Life is just too busy. As I watch my dear daughter with the new challenges of a baby, I get that. I've had four children of my own. However, the priority is critical that we take some time to expose our minds and hearts to the word of God on a regular basis. Can I ask you, to evaluate your practice. Do we need a tune-up? Do we need to set aside time specifically with the word of God? Secondly, can I ask you to evaluate your practice of giving thanks? Evaluate your practice of giving thanks. I notice that people who are humble, which is not me, regularly give thanks for things that are done for them and to them. And they are quick to thank God. I thought maybe it might be good if we take, say, 30 days and daily, just in our own private time, record something that we are thankful to God for as it relates to his work for us. Can I encourage us to consider our practice of thanksgiving? And lastly, can we evaluate, are we provoked with amazement when we think about the story of our salvation? Does it provoke in our heart a sense of awe and wonder of what was done? Can we just check our hearts on that? I am jealous that God be glorified according to the glory. Do his name for the work he has done. I want to encourage us to experience the joy, to experience the awe and wonder of that grace. Can I encourage us to do that? God has redeemed a people for himself through the death of his son. Knowledge of that leads to strength, and living in a manner that brings glory to Christ. Brothers and sisters, one day soon, because of his redemptive work on the cross, we will join 
a glorious celebration, a celebration like we have not experienced before, but is coming. We will experience a celebration in wonder, in awe, where we will sing together. Got the words already. I'm going to give you the words ahead of time. We're going to be singing for an eternity, so this is probably one of many. But we will sing this from the book of Revelation. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on earth. Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth, in the sea, and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped him. One day we will sing that with him. Let's pray together. Father, we give you thanks for your amazing grace to us. Lord, what can we say but thank you as debtors? Thank you for transferring us from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. Cause our lives increasingly to be such to be lived in a manner worthy of the name of Christ, to bring honor and glory to your name. We pray in Jesus' precious name.